Godly wisdom. And I think I'm probably going to kind of hang out on this one right here pretty much this morning. So, so glad to have everyone here. Amen. And I know the Lord's glad we're here. Doesn't matter if I'm glad you're here. I know the Lord's glad you're here. If you're here, it's because you wanted to be here. Nobody told you you had to be here. So we came with a, our motive was right. We came with a desire not to just come and do church so we could punch our time card and say we did our church this Sunday. We came here with an expectation. I don't know about you, but I came here with an expectation. You know, if I don't come with an expectation, if I just come to be a spectator and sit on the pew, then that's about all I'm going to get out of it. All right? I'm not here to entertain you. I'm surely not here to show you how wise and and how smart and how how totally awesome I am because I, I don't see myself as that. I You know, without him, the Bible says I can do nothing. So I'm just. I'm just an old clay pot up here. I'm just a vessel. Amen. So we're going to talk about this subject today about heavenly wisdom. So our key scripture for this entire lesson has been James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. We're going to go ahead and read that. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, This man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And I like the the reference here throughout these two verses of Scripture. It's God's putting the onus on you. It's not somebody else's responsibility to keep you unspotted from the world, is it? It's not somebody else's response. You can't put that shovel ministry into effect, and you can't say, well, it's somebody else's job to to minister to the widows and the homeless. He's saying, no, no, it's on you. It's your responsibility. You got into this. This is Paul speaking, I believe, and... But the, whoever's written this, they're saying, you, you got into this the same way I did. Right? And God's no respecter of persons, is he? So he expects this out of every one of us. It's not for the select few or the ones he likes, the ones he don't like, just too bad. It's not how it works. So we're going to get into this. James chapter 3 is kind of where this scripture was going. And on the lesson there it says, verse 17 and 18, but I'm going to read starting in verse 13 of James chapter 3 down through 18. Talking about heavenly wisdom this morning. So in James chapter 3 verse 13, it says, Who is wise man and endued with knowledge among you? In other words, who among you really believes that they really understand the things of God? Let him show out a good conversation, out of a good conversation, his works with meekness 
of wisdom. Wow, what is meekness of wisdom? It's honor and humility, gentleness. I just kind of got hung up on that for a while yesterday. Meekness of wisdom. So it implies that there's a wisdom that doesn't have meekness associated with it, right? If there's a positive, there's a negative, right? There's always a negative and a positive on a battery. So there's always an opposite, I guess. And it goes on to say, but if he, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. The, the New Living Translation says that verse like this, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Wow. It almost sounds like hypocrisy, doesn't it? Verse 15, this wisdom, this one he's talking about, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. In other words, it's, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, it's, it's of the flesh. It's not of God. So if it's, if the wisdom's not of God, it's gotta be coming from somewhere else. And we, in our, in our humanness, we can be guilty of Leaning on and trusting in our own wisdom. What did, what did that verse say in Proverbs chapter three? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Don't, don't trust in your own wisdom, your own understanding. Don't, he's, to me that's saying don't think you're so smart that you don't need God's wisdom. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Whether he's envying and strife, right? That sounds just like what the the New Living Translation said: bitter, bitter jealousy, bitterly jealous, and self, and having selfish ambition in our heart. So we got to be careful of that. But the wisdom that is from above, he talks about earthly wisdom and human wisdom and our own intellect and all this devilish wisdom. Then he goes on and he talks about but this wisdom that's from above, and we're talking about heavenly wisdom this morning, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. It doesn't come across harsh, but it's easy to receive. Right? How many would have come to God if somebody would have just been all up in your face and harsh and just and telling you you're going straight to hell and all this kind of stuff? That would have just drove me away. I don't know about you. That would have drove me away. Right? So it's easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without favoritism, without hypocrisy, which means without pretense or insincerity, and the fruit of God's righteousness, not our righteousness. It says the fruit of righteousness, but it really is talking about God's righteousness because somewhere else in the Bible it says that our righteousness, if even if it exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, it's, it's filthy rags to God. So it's not talking about our righteousness. It's talking about his. And the fruit of 
God's righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. So this is talking about heavenly wisdom, right? So to me, what what this is saying, what I put down here, is the fruit of our words and our actions will determine what kind of wisdom we're operating in. It goes back to fruit, doesn't it? You'll know a tree by their fruit. And who's judging the fruit? The world is judging our fruit? Are they not? Because believe it or not, they know. Even if they're not a Christian, they know what a Christian's supposed to be. They know how we're supposed to act sometimes better than we do. And so they're judging based on how we are acting and responding and 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 coming across to them whether they want to be a part of this or not. And some there's an also another individual that's judging our fruit. It's our Heavenly Father. Right? That's the one I'm really concerned about. Because he's also watching the situation if our fruit is wrong, if our motive is wrong. He's watching that situation. And he might allow some things to come in our life to help us to operate in his wisdom and not our own. Because we could just be totally messing things up, trying to operate in our own wisdom. We need heavenly wisdom. Right? So we're judged by our fruit. James 1 and 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Don't go ask of your friend. Don't go get a college degree. Don't go ask your pastor. If you lack wisdom, ask God. What do you think Solomon did? He was, all of a sudden, he was in charge of an entire nation as a young man, and it freaked him out. And he, what did he do? He went to God and said, how do I, how do I, how do I do this? How do I handle these people? And so God said, well, he didn't give him three wishes, but he said, pray. What did, what did he pray for? Wisdom to know how to handle, to go in and come out and to talk to the people, how to lead these people. And he could have asked for anything. But he didn't. He asked for wisdom. And what came with the wisdom that God gave him? Everything. (laughs) Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek your wisdom from God. Right? Because he's no respecter of persons. And what was different about Solomon than me and you? Nothing. He was just a man. Yeah, he was the son of a king, but he was still just a man. And what did Solomon have to do? The same thing we have to do to get wisdom. He had to humble himself before God. He had to take a humble and a contrite attitude. And believe me, God knew if he was sincere or not. He knows our motives, doesn't he? And so because of Solomon's humility, because of his desire to just just to please God, even though he messed up later on down the road, his desire was to do what God wanted him to do, and so God gave him that wisdom. Will he hold that wisdom back from you and me? 
that heavenly wisdom? Absolutely not. So what's the difference between us and Saul? Desire. Humility. I don't know. You ask yourself. Because God can use you to do great and mighty things just as well as he can use anybody. The difference is, is are we pursuing that or not? Do we see ourselves as kings and priests, like the Bible says? Because we are a royal gener- we are a holy priesthood, right? <laughs> God doesn't have a pecking order, does he? Does he? Really, he doesn't. <laughs> when he when he made this available, he what did he say? To whomsoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. It's it's to whomsoever will. The only the only person that's holding you back is you, me. If I want to devote myself to knowing God and to seeking his face and to, and to trying to find his will and to do what he's asking me to do, he's going to give me that same wisdom he gave Solomon. Or you. Right? Because if he doesn't, then that makes him a respecter of persons, doesn't it? He says, well, this one's allowed to have it, but this one's not. I like her better than him. He don't do that. You know, what's that T-shirt say that you wear? (laughs) I'm his favorite? We are. We are his favorite. Every single one of us. Right? He wants the very best for us. He wants us to have the wisdom of Solomon. Doesn't he? I'm not saying something out of line, am I? Correct me if I'm wrong. So Paul speaking to the church in Corinth In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, or of wisdom. And I put in there his own wisdom. That's what he was saying. I didn't come to you with my own wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, but for I determined or I judged in my own mind, in my own heart, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I didn't, I didn't come to you as though I was somebody that was way up here and you're way down here. I didn't come to you like that. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And that's talking about human weakness and frailty. And He came to them with reverential awe. These are God's people. And I've been given God's wisdom. And he goes on to say in verse 4, in my speech, and that interesting, that word speech there, the, the Greek is logos. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. And my preaching, or and that word preaching is talking about like a herald. You know what a herald is? That was the guy that used to stand down on the street corner and go, hear ye, hear ye, or whatever, you know, and give the weather report or whatever. That's that's what a herald is. Somebody just heralds the good news and just talks about, you know, the little boys selling newspapers on the on the street corner back in the old days in the 20s or whatever, <clears throat> trying to sell the paper, talking about the headlines. That's what a herald is. Okay? 
And that's what he was doing. He said, my logos and my, my heralding was not with enticing or persuasive words of men's wisdom. Not, not, not with human nature or my wisdom or my intellect or how smart and how cool I am. Or my opinion. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. I don't want your salvation, your faith to be dependent on my wisdom, Paul was saying. I don't want, I can't save you. You, you got, it's got to be a God thing. Right? Paul was very humble. He didn't want any credit for any, any soul that was added to the kingdom. He was giving it all to God. I didn't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. I didn't, I don't want it to be because I'm one of Paul's and, but I'm one of Apollos's and he, he condemned that. Um, it's not about the man. It's about the message, is it not? And you know, Paul, he had seen this firsthand. Cause he was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. So he'd been around all this religious tradition. He'd been around the traditions of the elders. He'd been around all of this, this leadership or whatever you want to call it that the, that the Jews had over the rest of the nation of, of Israel. He'd been around. He'd seen it firsthand. And so I believe that all of this was coming out of, you know, and this is how God gives us wisdom sometimes. <laughs> so here's Paul at midday, the Bible says. He's going down the road to, to Damascus, and at midday, he was telling King Agrippa, at midday, O king, well, at midday was, for a Jewish Pharisee, at noon, it was time to stop and pray, face the east and pray, right? So isn't that just interesting how God chose the prayer time of the Jewish nation to get a hold of Paul? He got him standing still, and then he just, bam! <laughs> He said he saw a light brighter than the sun. So how bright is the sun at noon? Pretty darn bright, right? So it was brighter than the noonday sun. And so I just have to believe that, I just imagine myself being Paul. Knocked down to the ground, blinded. And so they take him to this house for three days. And he doesn't eat anything, and he's blind for three days. What would you be doing? I'd be thinking. What what else are you going to do? And I think that Paul was going through his mind going, wait a minute. Everything I've believed up to this point that the Jewish nation, that, that Tertullian and all these people have taught me, it all came into question. Everything was just like the rug got pulled out from under. Everything he believed when when this voice spoke to him out of nowhere and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Because his question was, who art thou, Lord? And in a Jew, when a Jew said that, what did they mean? Who art thou, Jehovah? Because only Jehovah was a spirit that you can't see that had led the people of Israel. So all of this is going on in Paul's mind. And he's just, he's racking his brain. He's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This changes everything. And then God sends Ananias in there to, to baptize him and the scales fall off and it just, just one thing after another is letting Paul know you ain't that, you're not all that in a bag of chips, Paul. Yes, you have a lot of wisdom of the scriptures and that's, and I'm going to use that, 
but you're you're going to operate under my wisdom now, Paul, not your own. And so I, I, I kind of backed up and went through all that because I think that's where Paul was coming from, from his own experience. He figured out it, his wisdom wasn't getting the job done. His wisdom was killing a bunch of people, innocent people. The wisdom of the elders and all that worldly wisdom, all that religion and that traditions of the elders and all that stuff that Jesus totally was against and came to do away with, right? So that was a long three days. But that's where God told Paul, it's not by your wisdom, Paul. It's by my wisdom. You're going to listen to him. And what did that, what did that, what did that guy Ananias came and come and tell him? I've come to tell you that of some stuff that God's going to have you do that you're not going to like. I know he didn't use those words, but I'm going to use you in, in some things and, and it's going to just blow your mind. But it's not going to be you, Paul. It's going to be all me. You're just going to be the vessel I'm using. You're going to operate under my wisdom. You're going to go by my rules now. And that's why Paul had such great success. Because he humbled himself. And he let heavenly wisdom rule the day in his life. That's why he had great success. Colossians 2, 1 through 8 says this. For I I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh for their hearts might be com- that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love who's he talking about the church at Corinth right and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God and to the and of the father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who who is the in whom? God. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid. That's why he says that scripture, that we might be hid with Christ in God. It's not about who we are. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about how smart we think we are. Because all of our wisdom is not going to get the job done, is it? I want the Lord to lead me. I want his wisdom to be in operation when I'm in that moment, in that situation where there's an opportunity to witness and minister to somebody. I want God's wisdom to be in control. Because if I let my wisdom be in control, I will mess it up. I'll say something. I'll say the wrong thing. I'll say it the wrong way, with the wrong spirit, with the wrong attitude, and it'll just totally go the opposite direction that I desired for it to go. I want it to be, God, what do you want me to say? Or do you want me to say anything? Right? And this I say, he says in verse 4, lest it, that, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words or persuasive speaking. There's that enticing words again. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He's talking to the church. They're getting the job done and he's encouraging them. It's not by enticing words. It's by my wisdom. Verse 6, As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you. What what happened when an army spoiled a city? They took everything. They took all the valuable stuff, right? That was the spoils of the battle, right? We don't, the Lord doesn't, Paul doesn't want his, the church at Corinth to be spoiled like that. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Beware how you listen, right? What do they say? Trust but verify. <laughs> That's a good, philosophy to have, isn't it? Trust, but verify. When I have customers that say this is broke and they put a ticket in and say this is broke or that's broke, I have to use that philosophy. Trust, but verify because sometimes, and I find out when I get there, it's not always what they said in the ticket. There's there's a lot more information that they forgot to tell me. Their phone's broke because they poured coffee in it. They didn't put that in the ticket. (laughs) Just phone don't work. Right? So you gotta trust but verify. Don't take it, don't take everything at face value. I, you got this book. I got this book. And if you got a smartphone, you got the one you carry around like this plus the one on your phone or your iPad. So you got no excuse. Wait, let me look that up. Right? What's the word of God say on that? Right? You don't have to say right because I said it. That word conflict in in that first verse, it says, what with great conflict, what great conflict I have for you. That word conflict is the word agon. And it means strife, contention, contest for victory or mastery, such as we used in the Greek games of running, boxing, wrestling, and so forth. Paul applies the word to the evangelical contest against the enemies of man's salvation. So what was Paul saying there? He said, for I would that, that you know that what, that you knew what great conflict I have for you. So Paul was wrestling in prayer for these people because he couldn't be there. He said, I'm, I wish I could be there in flesh, but I, I'm with you in spirit. But since I can't be there, I'm wrestling with, I'm wrestling in prayer for you. Just like Jesus is interceding for us. Paul was interceding for the church. Because what was Paul? He was a church planner. He just went around starting churches and he would, he would find somebody that let the Lord lead him to some elder in the group and he'd say, okay, carry on. And he'd move and go to the next city and start another church. And he was doing exactly what God told him to do. And he was trusting who he was leaving behind, wasn't he? And what did he do? He has missionary journeys. He went back and he followed up. How's everything going? Great. Moved on to the next one. How's everything going? Up. Oh, got some issues here. Well, I'm gonna, when I get to the next city, I'm going to write you a letter. And then he would get thrown in prison and he'd still write the letter. And we, we believe that these, these epistles are the word of God, right? So God was, he was writing what God was telling him to write. Cause it wasn't just to those churches of that day, was it? God knew that down through time that we were going to need this. So he had Paul write these letters. 
Paul was just thinking he was just writing some letters. He had no idea that God was using him to for eternity for the churches today, right? So the and I got to thinking about it said there the, what the, what they've been taught. Well, I'm thinking, well, who taught them? I was, I'm weird. I just think of this kind of stuff. Like, wait, wait, wait. It said, the, what, the way you were taught. I'm thinking, who, who's he talking about? Who taught them? Well, I, I did some research, and it, it turns out there's this guy named Epaphras. He's only mentioned about four times in the New Testament. But Epaphras was from Colossae. And that was one of the ones that Paul, like Timothy and Titus, he raised him up, and he said, I'm going to, I see that, that you have a tendency for leadership or however you want to put it. And so he raised up Epaphras, and Epaphras was really the one that was teaching them. So, you know, Paul, he couldn't be there for all of that. So he he left others in charge, didn't he? But what did he make sure that they were doing? Using God's wisdom and not their own. He writes, he writes of Epaphras in the Colossians 4 and 12 in his letter to the church of Colossae. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's from your town. He's one of you folks. A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That word laboring is that same word. It's the root of that agon that we just talked about conflict, only it's agonizet. No my agonizomai. Does that sound like the word agonize? Huh? He says, so I agonize fervently, or he's talking about Epaphras, who always agonizes fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God, or in the wisdom of God. So when they couldn't be there, they were agonizing with them in prayer. Right? And that word agonizing means essentially the same thing as, as the other word. It's, it's conflict. It's to, to contend for the victory in a public game. What do they call two guys that are going to get in a ring and box? Contenders. Right? And they call them contenders. They're contending for the title of whatever. And so that's what we are to do. That's the example that Epaphras gave us and Paul gave us. So, and I would guess it's probably likely that Epaphras, since he was with Paul visiting him in prison, he left somebody else behind to run things, right? Because they didn't have churches and buildings. Not like this. They had churches and houses. You know, church buildings didn't come about until Constantine's time, like 300-something B.C. or A.D., I mean, church buildings. So they were still having church in the houses. So somebody's house, somebody was left in charge. But he was telling the, the members of that congregation to continue in their growth process. He was telling them to continue to seek Heavenly wisdom, the wisdom of God, that same wisdom that Paul used and that Paphras used to start that congregation. He was telling them, it, you know, because the church was growing, 
in the New Testament. The Bible in several places says it was multiplying. So they had to be doing something right. They had to be following the Holy Ghost because that's really what he's talking about, isn't it? It's the same Holy Ghost that you got, that I got, that you got. We don't, I don't have any more Holy Ghost than anybody else and they, and you don't have any more Holy Ghost than I do. But what does the Bible say? Stir up the gift that's in you. Stir that up. So it's a matter of how, how do you use what you've been given? Right? And it's all about just the same thing that Solomon, it's all about humbling yourself. It's all about getting down on your face and praying and saying, God, I need your wisdom. Because mine ain't getting the job done. Matter of fact, it's messing everything up. Right? And we don't stop using our wisdom when we get the Holy Ghost, do we? I'll figure this out. Right? Because, like, in my, this is my view, okay? Guys are, God designed us to be fixers. Right? We go fix stuff. The lawnmower's broke, we go fix it. Right? Right? Something's broke, I fix it. We just had something break on our, on the gray truck. I was immediately on Amazon looking for the part. So that's just my mentality. That's what I do. Right? We're fixers. But God didn't lead, God didn't say go for us to go fix everything. We gotta, we gotta go to Him for His wisdom. God, what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this? I don't have the answers to everything. And you don't either. But I don't know who does. God, should I do this? Should I buy this? Should I, right? We seek his wisdom. Should I go here? Should I I have this job? Should I just be satisfied with the one I got and wait for you to open the door? Isn't that seeking God's wisdom? Because sometimes we think we need stuff and we don't. And if we if we really were sincere and seeking God about it, we would find out. We didn't see that's why we don't seek God because <laughs> we don't want to hear God say no, not now. You can't have that right now. We don't want to hear God say no. Just like a little kid does not want to hear his mommy and daddy say no. What's the first word a kid learns? No. <laughs> That's the first word they learn before mommy and daddy is no. Because they don't even know how to ask for whatever they're asking for. And they just, ah, no. Right? Is that what we tell them? We do. We don't want to hear no. Because his wisdom is from above. Ours is from down here. Right? His ways are... Higher than our, he sees the end of the situation if you do that that you didn't ask him about first. And he's trying to get you not to do that because he sees what the end of that's going to be, and he's trying to get you to listen to him. Because then, when we do use our own wisdom and we get to the end of that thing and it's all messed up, we're going, God. Mm-mm. He's like, No, it ain't me. You made the decision. You should, you should have asked me first. Right? There was, there were so many times I wished I'd asked my dad and mom stuff when I just went out and did my own thing. Paid the consequences, right? I should have, 
I never told them probably, but I should have asked them first. <laughs> if I had just asked them, they would have saved me a lot of pain and heartache, right? Listen, young people, that was that was for you. <laughs> we might be old, but we've lived around this world a while, and we we do know a few things, especially if we're walking with God, right? So it's it's good to seek wisdom, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't go find, you know. And the multitude of counselors, the Bible said, there's safety. But let it be godly counselors, not just the barracks lawyer. As they used to say, stay away from the barracks lawyer. He doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. All you military people know what I'm talking about. Praise God. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Emphasis is on your own, because it's yours. With fear and trembling. In other words, keep working on it until it's accomplished and exercise reverence, respect, and honor for the Lord in the process. Because he's the one that gave it to you. For it is God which may worketh in you. It is God which worketh in you. That word there, worketh in you, is the same as saying is in operation in you. Is the Holy Ghost in operation in us? I hope so, right? If you have the Holy Ghost. Both to will and to do of whose good pleasure? His good pleasure. What's his good pleasure and what's our good pleasure might be two totally different things, right? Because the wisdom of God is higher than our wisdom. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we can't even attain to that. So before we got saved, we were operating under our own wisdom, right? But when we came to God and we humbled ourselves and we came to an altar of repentance and we, we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues and we, we said, okay, I see, I see Jesus' name baptism. I got to go get in the water and get baptized. We essentially said, my way of doing things wasn't getting the job done, God, but now yours is. So I think I'm going to go by what you say. And that's what we say. Whether we say those words or not, when we're standing here receiving the Holy Ghost, that's what we're saying. But then we go back on that. We got to kind of get comfortable. I, I, I got this, I think, God. I think I'll just call you when I need you. Right? We, we kind of sometimes fall back into our own wisdom, don't we? Got to be careful of that. I, I'm not going to go back through and read all that, but it talked about our wisdom being devilish and all that other kind of stuff. Got to be careful. I want God to be the one in charge. And I already made reference to this, but in second, you don't have to go there on the screen, but second Timothy one six says for, for us to stir up the gift. He was telling Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. You got that same gift I got, right? Stir up that gift. Stir it up. Operate in it. Let it operate in you. God can lead you just as much as he can lead me. Any one of you could stand up here and do what I'm doing. 
Any one of you in this room. What's the difference? It has nothing to do with this thing in my pocket. It's just a matter of you devoting yourself to, to study and preparing to do it. And then letting God lead you. Right? Because what are you going to do when you're out there? I can't talk to you right now. I gotta go call my pastor. <laughs> no. And if you do call him, well, I know he's probably gonna say, handle it. You got it. Don't worry about it, right? You know the book. Do it. Right? Hallelujah. We, this lady, this young lady moved across the street from us when we lived in Shepherdsville, Kentucky and God put her there because we won that whole family. And you, we go home, her little girls and stuff are still wearing skirts. And she thought, if when we left, she thought she was just going to die. Oh, you can't leave. Because <laughs> we, we really, we didn't do anything. We just were there and we just did what God told us to do and we taught her and, but she's still, she's still doing it. She, she doesn't need us there. Why? Because she's depending on God. She's learned to listen to God, listen to the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean she still doesn't need some guidance and leadership, but she's she's handling it because she's trusting in God. Right? You know, God in the Bible, he took some of the most weirdest, most unlikely, the least likely to succeed in in their high school graduating class and all that kind of, he took all those kind of people and he used them mightily. And they had all kinds of personal issues and problems and Peter was real impetuous and just flying off at the handle about everything. Right? We don't know anybody like that, do we? None of us have ever been like that. Open our mouth and insert our foot kind of thing. Right? But God will use who, whoever makes themselves available. Rahab made herself available. What was her, what was her line of work? She was a prostitute. Yeah. And she made herself available to those spies. And because she did that, what happened? Whose, whose lineage was she made, she was grafted into whose lineage? Jesus Christ. So God will use anybody if they'll just make themselves available and humble themselves and not only her, but she, as many people as she could stuff in that little house she lived in, she stuffed them in there and when those guys came back, everybody that was inside the roof of that house did not go down with the city. Right? God will use anybody. So we can't look at anybody outside the doors of this building and say, well, they're not, they're not the right cloth or they don't have the right pedigree or whatever. We can't say that. God, who is that? What's the potential for that person? That's kind of how I look at it sometimes. I, what, you know, that guy might have tattoos from here to there and, and this look like nothing nodded everyone, you know, but what, what can God do with that? God, what can you do with that? Because that person has a soul. And they got issues. And they got stuff in their heart that's not right. 
They're not, they, they might look rough and tough and look like a biker or whatever on the outside, but on the inside, they might be crying for somebody to just love them sincerely, not just phony and, you know, like the friends of the prodigal son. They were there until the money was gone. Right? So we got to use God's wisdom, that heavenly wisdom. That's what pure religion is, doing it God's way. Right? Praise God. Well, I'm done. I'm not just going to linger for five more minutes just because. So you get an extra.